Hi everyone, thank you for joining us in this new edition of In Conversation With. My name is Jeroen Bademans and in this series I'm talking with the most prominent, the most inspiring business leaders from all over the world, from all kinds of different sectors and from all kinds of different backgrounds and expertises. Uh, we're not going to talk too much on the business side, no, but I'm always curious to their personal values, their personal journeys in leadership, their vision on leadership, their vision on transformation and so on. What makes them tick and what keeps them awake at night? Those are the topics I am discussing in this series in conversation with. And today I'm really happy that we have another very uh, well-known CEO as our guests. His name is Gert de Winter and he's the CEO of Balwaze Group, the insurance company based in Switzerland. And together with him, I'm going to explore his journey on leadership, his vision and his thoughts on the future of leadership as well. So please welcome me in In Conversation with Gert de Winter. Hi Gert, welcome to our show. Nice to have you here. Nice to be here, Jeroen. Thank you. How are you? You're based in Basel, I guess, right now? I'm based in Basel, Switzerland, yes. Looking at the head office uh, behind you. The recent head office, indeed. It's a, it's a rather young building. Ah, okay, okay. Well, happy to have you in our show and um, uh, really looking forward to the conversation we're about to have. Let me let me start off with a, with, a, with a question I usually start off with. When you were a, let's say, a little Gert of five, six years old, what was your ambition to, well, to be at that time? Well, I think as uh, probably a lot of uh, five-year-old boys, my ambition or my, or my wish was to become a, an airline pilot. And, okay. Unfortunately, I'm colorblind and in those days, that was a no-go then. And then it was a huge disappointment, I guess? It was a huge disappointment, but you, you get over it. I mean, uh, it's not the end of the world. No, no, no. And and uh, uh, you have a very uh, long-standing background in finance, right? So was it also your ambition to work in the finance industry from, 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 from early on? Not really. I studied economics and, of course, then you get uh, in close contact with most of the uh, financial uh, industry or with, with parts of the financial industry, at least. Um, but I think a career, you cannot really plan it. I mean, it's a, it's an, a sequence of coincidences um, and things come together from time to time. I started as a consultant. My first job was in a financial industry and I stayed there. Uh, you say it's a, it's, a, it's a series of coincidences, but it also has to do, I think, with talent, with expertise, with hardworking. Well, I, I think you... I'm really convinced that a career, just as life, you cannot really plan it. What, what I did uh, throughout my career is, is every two, three years, I, I asked myself two questions. Um, am I still enjoying what I'm doing? And am I still learning? And when the answers was twice yes, I said, okay, let's go for another two to three years. And it has only been on one occasion uh, in my career where uh, the, the two answers to the questions were no, and then I changed and then, uh, I switched to uh, Balwaza Group. Ah, okay, because I read the other day that you basically saying, well, your career, or at least your career, your your personal career, is divided in periods of seven years each, right? So after the, the in between, after three years, you ask yourself the question, do I still like it? And then another three to four years, uh, 
comes comes up. Is that is that is that basically the division of all the separate steps you've been making so far? Seven years. Well, yeah, looking back at at the career that my career, I was uh, indeed I came to the conclusion that it was always in periods of seven years. Yeah. By the way, uh, seven years in the Bible is a very long period. So it has been seven years as a non-partner with Accenture. It has been seven years as associate partner and partner with Accenture. It has been seven years as uh, the um, the CIO in Belgium, then the CEO in Belgium, and then the CEO of the group level. Yeah. So and I think it's it's good after seven years. Um, an organization, a team also needs new impulses, needs new ideas, and uh, sometimes uh, then you have to make space, I would say, for new ideas and new people. The seven years itch I'm thinking about, yep. right? That's, uh, <laughs> that's uh, in a different context, I would say. Uh, and, uh, you have also a long-standing career already within Balwaze, uh, if I'm right, 17 to 18 years already. Um, I read that in the interview the other day that uh, it was a Belgium interview that it's quite rare that a Belgian person is the CEO of such a big company because Belwaza is really big, right? You have, a, I, I think, an estimated stock market value of 7 billion, almost 9,000 people uh, working at, 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 at Belwaza. Um, I, was, I, I, was, I, I was surprised by that uh, notion actually that 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 is rare that a belgian guy or a belgian person is a ceo of such a big company have you read it as well have you have you think about it well it's it's interesting i think uh, i was indeed the first uh, ceo of the group which is non-swiss um, because we are of course a a swiss-based anchored in switzerland uh, insurance company Um, i think um, there are quite some other belgian girls and guys who are uh, who have a similar position um i think it's probably due to the fact that uh, belgians are giving our country and the compromi- compromises we always have to seek with uh, different communities different languages and so forth we we're, we're pretty flexible and adaptable and that helps of course although i must say that um I often asked. I, I often get asked the question, "What are the differences between Belgium and Switzerland, for example?" And and the culture is very similar. Um, both countries and both citizens are rather uh, modest, I would say, are seeking for compromises because you have these different communities living in the different countries, um, are a bit introvert. Um, so there's a lot of similarities culturally between uh, Switzerland and Belgium, and that's why I think um, I fit well in switzerland and uh, other belgians uh, would fit too yeah okay and and do you think this 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 uh, uh, um, notion of adaptation to different cultures and cultural diversity is it one of the key things you need to apply or you need to um, do well in order becoming a leader or becoming a ceo is it one of the key pillars of becoming a good leader i think the as I said, I don't think you can really plan the career, but throughout the career, there are a number of chances that pass by, and then you have to decide, do I go left, right, or do I go through the middle? Um, I think what has certainly helped me was my 15 years as a consultant, because you get exposed to whole kinds of, of different topics. You need to learn fast. You need to be adaptable and flexible. You get to learn a lot of people, um, different people different clients, so, so you, 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 you get a sort of sense of how people act, react. So I, that has certainly been a very strong base, I think. 
And that's from the business point of view. From the personal point of view, my father has always pushed me to do my utmost best and to deliver of quality all the time. So that has certainly helped. I think what, to my feeling, what helps even the best is, is to remain who you are. Mm. Uh, you see Gert and what you see is what you get. So I think authenticity is probably one of the key elements uh, of, of being a decent leader. And probably also one of the most difficult ones, right? I don't, I don't, personally, I don't find it difficult. I mean, if you see myself uh, at home with my family or when I'm drinking a beer with my friends or when I'm discussing difficult topics in uh, on business point of view with the colleagues, um, what you see is what you get. Uh, Gert is Gert and there's no second or third uh, role that I'm playing. Really transparent in the way you work and the way you are. Yeah, you yeah. can't... I. I I, I can't. I could never put on a mask if you want and play a different role. I'm just, I'm just uh, who I am, and uh, in all circumstances. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, the 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 authenticity, also uh, uh, adapting to cultural differences. Uh, those two go hand in hand. Uh, you also said it's a series of coincidences uh, to in 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 a career. That sounds to me that you're also very relaxed that you don't experience that much stress because if you think everything comes by coincidence you always you know that 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 sounds a bit like okay things will will be okay in the end am i correct or do you have also some 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 stress moments in your in your career so far well i i, I don't think I think it's indeed coincidence and a lot of coincidences, but when chances come, of course, you need to grasp them. That's, that's I think, uh, so it's not, let's say, fair. It's not uh, leaning back and saying everything will be all right. Let's, let's, sit, let's sit out the right. So that's, uh, that's I don't think, uh, the case. Um, I have a lot of uh, adrenaline moments. Uh, if you need to speak to a large audience uh, and so forth, that still gives, uh, gives uh, a boost. Mm -hmm. um, I had a lot of stress in the beginning of my career. Um, up to a certain moment, I had just become a manager at Accenture and I had sold my first project and I was very proud, of course. And on that project, everything went wrong. <laughs> Client was not satisfied, team was not satisfied, quality was not being delivered, uh, budgets were, uh, were a hell. And I used to work late trying to solve everything. And then I, when, I, when I drove home at night, I slept a couple of hours and I woke up and it was again thinking about, about the project. And I said, this can't go on like that. I mean, or I can give it a place, I can put things into perspective, or I'm going to look for another job. And somehow that's where I learned the hard way, I must say, to manage stress. And uh, of course you have exciting moments, by, but I don't have real stressful moments. I have adre adrenaline moments, but real stress, uh, since 15 years no more no and that's because of this turning point actually this particular example yeah that was actually really the turning point because i i made up my mind or i can pursue this job but then i need to act differently and behave differently and give the stress a place where it can sit yeah uh, or i need to uh, to to change jobs and uh, become a a forest uh, observer or something like that, something which is very, very quiet. So, was it, but I, I learned it. I learned it the hard way, you know. Was it also your list to be as a forest uh, forest observer when you were uh, when you were young? 
not really, but uh, I, I, I told myself, if I can't handle stress, I, I need to look for, for a job which brings a bit of, uh, of, of silence and a bit of, uh, a bit of calmness. And that's why I picked out that example. Yeah. One of the other key turning points I would like to, to, to discuss with you, Gert, and we, we have pre-discussed this, uh, is that you have been um, diagnosed with cancer recently and uh, also diagnosed that you, um, yeah, how do you say it, survived or are uh, healthy again. Um, it, 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 you, you, you were a CEO of, of, of Baloise, then you got this, 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 this diagnosis. What happened? What was the day when you heard the news? And how do you reflect back on that? It's, um, <clears throat> it was um, late uh, 21, so about uh, 16 months ago now, um, just before Christmas, which makes it already a very special period. And I got diagnosed, I remember it quite well, on a Monday afternoon. Uh, and of course, if they say um, you have a cancer, your chances are 50-50, we're going to go for chemotherapy and a very severe operation, then the world stands still. Well, that, that's clear. Yeah. Especially because of the next day, I became grandfather for the first time. So it was a very emotional week because you think my life is over and uh, you see ne new life coming into the family. So that's, that's very, very emotional, I must say. And of course, those first... I would say two, three weeks are full of anxiety, um, fear, um, uncertainty, but also hope. Um, I had, I was fortunate that the therapy actually started only two weeks afterwards, so beginning of January 2022. And once you get into the therapy, you know the schedule, you get into a sort of rhythm, uh, a sort of um, structure, I would say, where you know what's going to happen. Mm. And then it's just a tunnel you have to go through. You have no, no other option. Um, so you just need to hang in there, uh, fight and, uh, and pull it through. And uh, then you see the, the light at the end of the tunnel com coming. It, it's even a bit strange because once I got over these first two very emotional weeks and you start with the therapy, uh, I even became a bit curious. Mm. Curious about the therapy, curious about what it would do with my with my body but also with my mind um so a very intensive period um but uh, again very uncertain the first two weeks very emotional and once you get into the therapy very structured and it's just the way you need to walk yeah and uh, curious you said like you want to know what happened you were curious on yeah more from a almost from a business perspective, curious to the content of what's happening, curious on the developments. That's, that's, that's interesting, right? To be... Yeah, curious on, 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 on the therapy, what they would do exactly, what it would cause as a consequence to my health, yeah. to my well-being, um, how friends and family would react, how colleagues would react, um, how the operation would go, how I would recover from the operation, uh, how the two weeks of rehab would look like. So it was it was indeed curiosity because you, it was the first time I experienced uh, uh, a diagnosis of this kind, and uh, and and then yeah, everything is new at yeah. least in the very beginning. But still, you were the CEO of a very very big company, right? What how how did you how did you you take action on that? How did you reflect on that? Did you? I, I can imagine that you had to stop working. 
Well, I, I, I fully understand people who get diagnosed with a severe uh, illness and they say, I'm fully concentrated, concentrating on my illness and getting better in my therapy. I, I fully understand uh, that point of view. Uh, for me, it has never been really an option. Um, what we have done in the first week uh, after the, the diagnosis was to sit together with the chairman of the board of directors and with my um, with uh, Michael Muller, who would actually um, be my stand-in uh, during the difficult period. And we sort of said, how are we going to organize? And I said to my colleagues, I absolutely want to continue to work on the strategic topics. And we defined five or six of them. And I said, those I want to absolutely continue to do even throughout the therapy. Mm. And um, Michael, so my stand-in, would take over more operational uh, issues. For me, continuing to work was part of the therapy because you, you could actually focus on uh, on business as usual almost and you did not have or I did not have to think all the time about uh, my health, my illness and so forth. So for me, it was part of the therapy. Yeah. Um, my wife often said when you're working and it was often in uh, in hospital office, I must say, you have a smile <laughs> on your face because you, you can see you're actually, you can you, you can put away the thoughts about, about the cancer and focus on, on the business uh -huh. as usual. And that really helped me um, come through. But so, yeah, you're talking about a hospital office. Lots of people were working at the time from their home offices, I guess, uh, during uh, during COVID. You're from a hospital office. But, but still, you really want to keep on working on specific topics. I can also imagine that, that people think he's a workaholic. He, 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 he thinks that work is the only important thing that should continue that should go on have you have you heard it, those kind of feedback as well i i've heard uh, the feedback um hey Gert, you're continuing to work because you can't let it go yeah you want to stay in control you uh, you, you you want to keep grip on it uh, actually that was not the case at all i must say um um, it, it was rather me wanting to, to continue to work in order to be able to have different thoughts than only the thoughts focused on, on the illness and the therapy. Um, there is a sort of a, a phenomenon which is called the empty chair syndrome. And, and it goes, the, the theory goes like this. If in a team suddenly somebody is no longer there because of whatever reason, the team automatically picks up the, the, the space that the empty chair leaves. And that exactly happened with, with, with the team I work in. So the colleagues took over relentlessly uh, what I was not uh, able to pick up anymore. And as I said, on five, six strategic topics, I, I, continue, uh, I continue to work and it did me really well. But how the team functioned was, uh, was, was great. So it was not about me not trusting the team. On the contrary, uh, it was about letting go to the team having the team fill up the spaces I could not occupy anymore, yeah. but being able to continue to contribute, and that uh, has helped me a lot. Did you realize this before? But In, in, in other words, we talked about authenticity, about adapting to different cultures, um, the team, all kind of uh, personal values that are important to you when it comes to leadership. Did that change those, those, your, your vision and your personal values or your personal drivers on leadership did that change during your 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 therapy not really i think that those personal values are values you carry along your whole life so i think they they, they start building up uh, when you're a child and throughout uh, your youth and then you take them along until the day you die so i don't think those personally values that i cherish 
have 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 changed because of of of, of the illness or the therapy. Mm. They're just part of yourself. They're part of your personality, and they're they're what you they're the reasons you do it for. Yeah. So they haven't changed. No. And and the, do you have one specific lesson learned or some things that you that you have learned from a leadership perspective uh, in in the recent period of time? That you that that you that you really would like to to point out. Well, of course, if if we all have probably, but you don't think about dying when you're alive and kicking. Huh? Mm. Of course, when you get diagnosed with a severe illness, you understand that uh, there's an end to everything, and you understand that everything is is relative, um, and and it does some strange things to uh, at least it did, it did some strange things to me. I do remember. Uh, it was two or three weeks after the diagnosis. It was pouring rain, and I got outside and enjoyed it, which mm. is something I would normally not do. So you you start putting things into perspective. Um, what I learned is, I think, is um, when you get into such a difficult situation, is to to be positive, to look forward. That's one thing, and the second thing is, uh, as I said. Uh, let go and and trust the team. And those 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 are things I learned. I, the, the the churchyard is 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 full of people who think they are irreplaceable. Yeah. And and you, and you need to you need to be very aware of the fact that that is not the case. And nobody of us is irreplaceable. And uh, and so let it go. Trust the team. But be positive and look forward. Yeah, that's a very good lesson. And. Unfortunately, those things always come up when something really bad happens, of course. But those are lessons, of course, that are applicable to, to every one of us. Um, and one of the, 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 the recurring uh, uh, topics in these uh, interviews, in this com in conversation with are the questions you got from the previous uh, business leader and you have for the next one. Um, and, and maybe it's a well, it's a kind of sort of bridge I would like to make to the topic of sustainability because uh, Alad Castellain, the CEO of the Port of Rotterdam, was your uh, was the previous one I had a conversation with, and he has a question for you as well, which is about sustainability, uh, because I talked a lot with him on uh, on sustainability and in his area of expertise in the Port of Rotterdam. And he is uh, interested in the in the extent to which sustainable development goals are important in your business, and the extent to which he you use those sustainable development goals in reaching out to his customers and other stakeholders. Can you briefly elaborate on that? Yeah, I would uh, love to, uh, Jeroen. Um, maybe a couple of thoughts. Huh? Um, I think sustainability. Is an interesting word because actually you can split it up. It is to to sustain the ability to continue to serve customers. It is to sustain the ability to have happy employees, for example. It is to sustain the ability to generate profit and dividends. So sustainability is sustain and ability. I think there's a very maybe two other thoughts. I think there's a very the. the the development goals, the United Nations development goals, are the basis of the sustainability. That's that's for me is absolutely clear. Um, it's interesting to see the sustainability for us is a very 
broad topic with a lot of different stakeholders. We have our shareholders, of course, we have our customers, we have our people. You also have the overall society, you have the environment, you have partners, and you always have to take decisions regarding sustainability, which are not that easy, because if you consider all stakeholders, then you need some trade-offs. Let me give an example. We are an insurance company, we insure, we, we insure cars, also cars produce CO2, yet if we would stop securing or insuring cars, we would have, have to lay off um, half of our, of our people. Yeah. So how do you, how do you make that, that trade-off? Other, other example, if you have an, a polluting industry, but people ask for a group life insurance, do you refuse it? And then mm. put those employees at risk. So it's always a very thin line to balance between the different stakeholders. What I think is very important is that as an insurance industry, we can work on three levers. The first one is our own CO2 emission, but because we're not a producing industry, that is the impact is pretty limited. Yeah. Of course, we are institutional investors, big institutional investors, and there we can really make a difference by by really playing on the on the I would call it the responsible investment policy. Yeah. But the biggest lever, and that's maybe not that known, is if we as an insurance industry collectively would say we are no longer going to ensure this risk or this industry, the impact would be immense. Because if we would no longer ensure a certain industry of, or, or type of industry, then that industry would cease to exist. Because if there is no insurance, you cannot no. uh, be an entrepreneur. So I think that's, that's the role as an insurance industry that we could and should play, uh, not, not by excluding people from insuring risk, but by helping companies transferring into more sustainable business models. Yeah, yeah. And and, and uh, briefly, but you talk, we're talking about authenticity being yourself. Is it also your personal values and your personal drivers when it comes to sustainability? Are those key leading in the decisions you have to make in these topics as well? Absolutely. I think if sustainability for us is, is clearly a part, an integral part of the strategy. Yeah. Um, it, uh, it, the, the worst thing what could happen, and unfortunately I see it happening as we speak, is uh, an enormous, um, I would call it enormous activi activism mm. of all regulatory bodies across the whole world on yeah. all levels which are producing additional standards, rules, reporting, and so forth. And my fear is that we will have to put in that much energy in ticking the box and in sustainability becoming a, a compliance point that we will no longer be able to invest in what really matters. Yeah. And that is really sustainability for the future generations. And that's a fear I have. So let's not make sustainability a compliance issue, a tick in the box issue, but let's, let's, let's really attack the change of climate. Let's really go for the UN development goals and let's uh, secure the world for future generations. Yeah, I think very clear and very familiar to all of our audience, I guess. Um, uh, I would also like to ask you to uh, ask a question for my next guest. And my next guest will be Chris Kay. He is the CEO of Saatchi and Saatchi and also the CEO of the Publicist Group UK Creative Practice. Do you have a, 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 a question in your hat you would like to ask him? I have an, uh, an odd question, so a bit strange question. Uh, I love I those. Would I love I'd those like odd questions. Ask. Please, please, yeah. yes. My, my question would be, what do you want to become when you're grown up? Ah, 
<laughs> that sounds familiar to me, the, the question. Yes, absolutely. But I think it's a really good question to uh, to start off the conversation with him. Thank you for that. Uh, for now, Gert, um, to, 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 to close off with you this, 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 this conversation, um, we talked about a lot of different topics. And actually, I think you're one of the, the, the examples of a, well, let's say an understatement, a dynamic career when it comes to leadership. What would be your key takeaway for our audience in terms of your role and your vision on leadership? I think I alluded to that, Jeroen. I think the most important, at least my personal opinion, the most important um, quality, if you want, of, 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 of a leader is be genuine, be yourself, be authentic well if you and, and show vulnerability we don't have the answers to all the questions that are out there and if you just show yourself that way to 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 your people then people will be genuine honest and fair towards yourself yeah. and i think that's uh, that's the way how people should work together you get what you give actually right yeah and uh, last but not least, and I think it's 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 well more or less a minor detail, but not that much. You will be leaving uh, by the end of June. Uh, what's next? Well, um, a couple of plans, uh, I must <laughs> say. Um, as you asked in the beginning, I always wanted to become a pilot. Um, that was not possible given my color blindness. It is possible today, so I will <laughs> okay. try to learn to fly. And yeah. um, second thing is a uh, is. Uh, I have always wanted to study history, um, but at the age of 17, 18, and I'm sorry for every, everybody who has done the history studies, I realized this is maybe not the most economical option or the <laughs> best economic option. So I studied econo uh, economics, um, and I will actually pick up studying history uh, as of the end of September when the university academy year starts again. And my family and I have got a lot from society. We were very lucky. Have, have got a lot, so it's time to try and give something back. So I will also engage in uh, volunteer work in the social economy. Wow, great. And I think also enjoying your family and your... Without any doubt, without any doubt. As I said, uh, our first granddaughter has been born the day after my diagnosis. Yeah. Um, it's a different life as a grandfather, and I will certainly make the time for her. Wow. Absolutely all the best for you, Gert, and for your family as well. I really, really enjoyed this conversation. I, we could have talked way longer than the 30 minutes we have talked so far, but I think uh, at least you inspired me, and I'm pretty sure you also inspired our audience of today. Wish you all the best, and uh, hope to see you soon somewhere flying in the sky or teaching history to all of us, probably. We'll see. Thank you very much, Gert. Thank you. Thank you, Jeroen. Very welcome. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And thank to you who has been joining us today for this In Conversation with Gert de Winter. Next time, I will be talking with Chris K, CEO of Saatchi and Saatchi, and I hope to meet you then again. Thanks for now. Bye-bye.